welcome to another episode of Fly Over the Grass, the show about shedding light on careers into social impact. This episode is a conversation with a very special woman called Lisa Mandemaker. Lisa is a Dutch social designer, educated both in the England and the Netherlands. She designs products and services for social impact as well as installations that aim to spark public debate about new technologies. She is most passionate about reproductive technologies and this led her to the nomination as one of the BBC's Top 100 Women of the Year in 2019 for her creation of an artificial womb. What is so striking about Lisa is her independence of thought, which started as a child when she would never ask for help. Now she pursues work or areas of social debate when she herself doesn't know where she stands, making her work a constant conversation and learning journey between herself and her audience. In this episode, I chat to Lisa about how she made a career out of following her curiosities and what it feels like having grown from a shy, independent child into someone at the forefront of public debate and future technologies. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, Lisa Mandemaker. Hi. It's so great to have you here. Thank you. And we're in Amsterdam today. Yes. Which is very exciting. Um, your home. Yes, my home. And how long has this been your home for? Uh, well, I grew up just outside of Amsterdam. Uh, but since um, coming back from London, I live here for almost two years now. Amazing. And you're right in the centre, aren't you? I'm right in the centre. What does that nice. really mean for someone who doesn't live in Amsterdam? How would you describe that? It's actually like a museum full of tourists <laughs> but it means that everything is so close that um you can just bike everywhere kind of everything is 10 minutes away by bike which is very nice it's really hard to imagine that when you're somewhere a lot bigger like london or manchester or one of these, some of these big cities around mm-hmm. um england where most of our listeners will be um but yeah that was a tangent welcome Thanks. Very nice to have you on Fly Over the Grass today to talk about your career to date. So first of all, how would you describe uh, who you are and what you do? So I would describe it now as uh, I am a social designer and I do, so I do social design and I do design for debate. As a social designer, I'm interested in future scenarios uh, and I Uh, future scenarios and future narratives and I create these narratives by designing objects or artifacts that explain this narrative Um, so you can experience it and by designing an object that could become something in the future like become part of your life if you see that and interact with it you can easily more easily um, imagine it to be part of your daily life and then it will raise questions in your head like oh but if I have this in my living room what does that mean and how do I feel about this and then we can have a discussion about new technologies and what that will mean to you on a daily basis and not that it comes from the top down what why do you care about this why does this interest you um yeah I've always been interested in technology and uh, like emerging technology but I'm always been more interested in the effect it has on humans and our behavior Mm -hmm. and I think it's important for if there's a new piece of technology um, 
arriving and we're going to use it a lot uh, that we're not just like blindly accept it but think about what it actually does and means so for example when i was uh, studying when i was doing my ba that was when i was always i was very late with getting a smartphone but uh, when I was at my BA, like uh, all my classmates were having smartphones already, and I was just having so much doubts about it because I saw everyone glued to their phones already, you know. And I saw this change in their behavior, and I was like, I'm not ready to have this behavior yet. But I knew I was gonna, you know, have a smartphone and have the same behavior. But I, um, yeah, I thought about it a longer time, so maybe that's a good example. And then I love that you've yeah. got basically a healthy cynicism about technology. Yeah, yeah. And what you aim to do is help people slow down, maybe in terms of slow down their adoption of new technology, so that we can think a bit more carefully about them. Yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah, but it also sounds like maybe there's a an acceptance that the world changes. And that's okay. Yeah, it's I'm I'm not really a, a techno utopist, but I'm also not a techno dystopist. Uh, so I'm like in between. I'm just mm. aware of certain things that are um, introduced into our lives, and I want people to to think about it more. Mm. And that's why I design the things that I design. Lisa, it's been quite hard to miss you recently because you have been all over the news and not only that um been voted as bbc's in bbc's top 100 women tell us a bit more about this and why you were voted into this position yeah that was crazy that i was part of this list yeah it was a, a bit of a process and i really didn't expect to be on the list um, but the reason that i got on was that I was part of the design team designing an artificial womb. I did that a year before the list came out. So I, I made it last year in 2018. Uh, and it was a, it came from the, the hospital in Eindhoven, the Maxima Medical Center. They are working on uh, actually creating a, an artificial womb that actually functions. Uh, so they're doing all the research and it's basically, it's mostly focused on saving premature babies. So when they're born at 24 weeks, they can go into a into an artificial womb instead of the incubator because an incubator is an is a room f- uh, filled with air, but you need a room filled with liquid so the all the organs can still grow. And then after four extra weeks, so at 28, you have a second birth, and then it goes into the incubator, and then it saves like almost all the lives of premature babies. So this is obviously really interesting and really good science and um, really good that they're doing it. But at the same time, I was part of a research team at Next Nature Network in Amsterdam and they were researching uh, this technology that you can have the full baby outside, like the full pregnancy outside uh, the the human body or the female body. Uh, They call that ectogenesis. And these things came together. So... We wanted to know as designers how should a artificial womb look like for the, both the same reasons. Uh, if you have a premature baby, so which is a very emotional process because if you have to 
uh, going to labor at 24 weeks you're not ready to go into labor Mm -hmm. and um but then you have to put your baby into an artificial womb so how does that have to how does that look like Mm. Uh, but also if you go a little bit further in the future what if we do a whole pregnancy in an artificial womb how should that look like and where should that be and how should that go so as designers we thought about that and we designed this uh, speculative prototype for an artificial womb and we presented that at the Dutch Design Week and that was already a big success and then a year later the BBC learned about the the artificial womb and they were doing so that uh, 100 women the bbc had a theme this year and the theme was female future and artificial wombs are an interesting um uh, thing to think about mm. for the female future um so they were very interested in this concept so that's why they contacted me and then um yeah that's amazing and what and how does it yeah, how does it feel to be part of this group of 100 women and um, what do you feel like you're contributing to personally in terms of that idea of the future female? Yeah, it still feels, a bit, yeah, this is a very obvious answer that it feels really unreal to be on this list mm-hmm. and you feel like a bit of an imposter sometimes, but like a lot of uh, women have this uh, imposter syndrome, of course. Um, but I thought it was really cool for a designer to be on this list ideally with these with these types of technologies when they are developed in labs and hospitals or like other types of technologies you should you should have like designers on the team to think about way more stuff but that doesn't really happen yet all the time so i hope that um by having yeah this type of work on such a big uh, stage mm. that um, scientists also realize like oh it should be could be quite interesting to work with designers and think outside the box a little bit more I was watching that BBC video when it was talking about the development of the artificial womb mm-hmm. and then having these snippets of of your insight in that conversation next to a scientist yeah um, they're like that's an amazing moment for well, for you and the the design profession to see uh, the validation of those two points of view delivering that that information about a breakthrough um, in science. Well, it's funny that you say um, that I'm next to this scientist. Do you, yeah. do you think that I'm just as important as the scientist in that video? Uh, he got a bit more airtime, didn't yeah. he? It was also for me one of the first times that I did a, a big interview like that, mm. and especially for like uh, something that is going to be broadcasted on BBC World News. And, and the interview itself took quite long, and we talked about a lot of stuff. But it was interesting to see what bits they used for their story. Uh, this is an interesting process to learn for me as well, uh, mm. how you deal with that. But for me, it was interesting to see that they used a bit of me as a designer that I look a little bit further into the future. So I also talk about an artificial womb maybe becoming a lifestyle choice, for example, or that it could be a good thing for uh, gay men, couples that want to have kids. 
and that's not what the scientist talk, talks about because he just wants to solve a medical issue yeah um and it's interesting to just you know take it one step further and think about it and and then at the end of the interview he the scientist responds to this thing that he's not sure how it could work if the full pregnancy is outside the, the body but to me that's interesting because he replies to that question and otherwise he wouldn't think about it because obviously as a scientist you're only trying to solve a medical issue uh, so yeah I thought that was quite interesting mm. that that happened in the or how they put together that interview was that someone you worked closely with well uh, the, the doctor's name is uh, Geet Ui mm. uh, it's a bit of a hard name to say in English um, he works at the Maxima Medical Center mm. and we worked with him to create the um, a speculative prototype how was that working relationship so i was there as a designer so i didn't i haven't actually spoken to him but we used the research from the uh so yeah because you're working with a big hospital and he is super busy uh doing his job and then we come in as designers and uh you know we need his time mm -hmm. uh, so we had like we talked to phd students that work with him and they they're doing all types of research around the artificial womb and yeah we got all that research and we had to go through it but it was just graphs and lots of texts and stuff that I got sent through I was like I don't understand this I have no idea how am I going to translate this into a visual mm. um, but yeah so you have to just slowly work that out artificial wombs what do I so if I talked about artificial wombs to my friends, everyone was like, no, you can't do that. That's awful. Like, are we going to do like a full pregnancy outside the body? No, 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 no. Uh, but I was still wasn't sure how I felt about it. And that's really interesting to go into a project like that, just to find out for yourself how you feel about it. And then, but at the same time, I was also working with um, another institution here in Amsterdam it's called Waag and they do this um, they do these sessions which is called Make Health so you hack what the aim is that you make personal uh, healthcare solutions and you do this as a community so there's all different kinds of people coming in so there you have healthcare professionals you have people that need healthcare um, makers and designers and they all come together and then um form groups around certain cases to create a, a very personal solution. So you have, for example, uh, somebody that can't really open his um, uh, boxes where his medication is in, and then you need to make something for him uh, so that he can open it. Uh, but this is just around the healthcare system which I think is really fun to do. And I was just being part of one of these sessions for fun. And then I met this gynecologist and then I've done the, the artificial womb already. So she was obviously very interested in this way of working because she has never seen that before as a medical professional. And she brought in a case as well. She wanted to uh, do something about um, how women are, um, well, if you go to a gynecologist, it's a very uncomfortable visit for women and she wanted to change that because she um she's now a gynecologist and she looked around in her um in the room that she's working in and she's like everything is designed in this room for me to do my job comfortably 
And when she said that, I was like, oh, yeah, that's so interesting for you to notice that. And I think that's also because she's a woman and it's always been a, a man, a male profession. Well, not always, but men claims it at one point. And they also made tools to do it. Uh, so the tool is the speculum that you have to, uh, that's getting inserted. So uh, we are trying to redesign the speculum into a more, uh, well, into a completely different Something that's actually comfortable for the person who's going to have it inserted. Yeah, yeah. That is crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Tools designed for... I love that phrase. That's that's really sharp. You're absolutely right. Tools that were designed for um, the person who's going to use it rather than the person who's going to benefit from it, Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So that Mm. was... Yeah, that was a really interesting... um, I'm still working on this. It's it's still in the the concept phase. Uh, But then these two projects so the speculum and the artificial womb they relate somehow into like fertility and that's how i then got into this project about um in vitro fertilization which is a technology that we use for 40 years already more than 40 years already um uh, and then yeah i got interested in that so that's kind of the the project that i did uh, last year uh, so yeah, it goes from one 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 thing to the other, but yeah, yeah, they overlap and they create space for new things to think about, and then you just work that out again. Yeah, that's amazing. That feel. I mean, you've made it sound all very easy, but I can imagine it wasn't. No, it wasn't very easy. <laughs> How does this look like on a sort of day to day level in terms of building up a sustainable life around those interests? Because also, what I'm hearing from you is that. It's, it sounds like for you in terms of your, I don't know, just life satisfaction, following your curiosities and, in, and interests um, and passion for exploring is really a central value mm-hmm. to you. Is that about right? Yeah, that, that, is, that is right. Um, but I also want to... Um, it, it's not the way that I want to keep working. Mm. Uh, I just want to do... Um, I always want to keep working like that, but I need to sustain myself as well. So I need to find a way how I can sustain myself, but also in a way that means something to me or to the work that I already do. Mm. Um, So I kind of split it up in social design and design for debate. And then design for debate is the area that is more the experimental stuff and my curiosities that I explain and I want to talk about with other people. And um, yeah, uh, exhibit in different places but I also want to do so I've noticed doing all this design for debates uh, f- for the past years um, that I want to do something to actually change something because I always start to debate but then I just leave it to other people to just you know do it <laughs> and I want to be part of that as well uh, but that's still a process that I'm trying to find out but there's more like there's more social design startups uh, that I'm trying to be a part of more and that is financially a little bit more interesting um, but yeah I'm, I still hope to be able to um, yeah do the both both sides but mm. the thing is that when you explore your own curiosities you need to be um you're relying on funding because you're initiating it yourself um 
so the artificial womb was a project within a studio so then you get like a uh, they they'll pay you to be the designer um but um IVF project was my own project, but I was very lucky last year that I had a um, talent development fund um, from this funding uh, mm. institution here in Amsterdam, mm. and they support Amsterdam designers and artists. So it is it comes with a bit of luck that you can be able, can, yeah, can be able to do and explore the stuff that you want to do too. Mm. Yeah, and also when the what kind of work that you're doing, I feel like not only are you challenging the content is is challenging mm-hmm. because you're doing design for debate but i'd also say that your your role in the world and and in the development of science is also challenging the status quo how does that how does that feel on the on a day-to-day level you- yeah i think when you put it like that that sh- should be extra pressure if you if you tell it to me like this but um i don't feel that pressure it's more the pressure that i put on myself that i want people to think like that um so the work needs to be good uh so that's what i'm focused on the the work needs to be good and uh it needs to spark a debate so it needs to be like um uh yeah people need to get interested in it somehow and that's what i'm worried about and so until I put it in the world. That's the only thing that I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about that it needs to be good, needs to be good, and that makes it really hard. <laughs> um, but then when you put it in, on like an exhibition and you get a lot of responses, you get into a sort of high because oh, it worked, and then you can live off that for a while. <laughs> but you need to make sure that these things. Well, I've noticed that um, the past year these moments of putting it out there uh they were too far apart Mm. so then you forget about why you're doing it and um it helps to have some moments that you go out with it and show what you're doing could be a talk could be like a test day or something with a small gathering um but you need to get feedback from people along the way and I forgot a little bit about that Mm. last year and that made it really difficult Mm. but now I've I've put it like well October is kind of the designer high season so because you have Dutch design week and it was also with the the BBC that came out and um, uh, I had an exhibition going so uh, then I'm still living off that all the all those um, experiences I had during that time mm. so hopefully I can live off that for a little while longer <laughs> it's just like the high the high drug isn't it just yeah. to keep you motivated yeah and and yeah and also to help you develop your thinking I'd imagine as well yes you get all this yeah um because the idea of this debate did did you find that when you put it all out into the world the debate made you think about your work in a different way or the issue in a different way once you got all the responses oh yes definitely yeah and you you immediately start thinking about okay i need to oh i want to do redo it but that in a good way not mm. that you think oh i've done it wrong or i forgot this um cuz you cuz i deliberately design it in a way that not everything is there mm. uh, so people can discuss it um but then there's like little bits that you want to focus on 
for example, with the artificial womb, so many people said like, oh, how do you design the connection between the, the mother and the, and the baby? Because now it's like hanging there in a, in a sort of balloon. How do you design that? And then I can already imagine a project that is just about that interaction. Because um, for me, it's also really interested, interesting, like this equality thing is why is it only the mother and the child that need a connection because we can also design this for the father mm-hmm. uh, because it's outside of the body so this is a whole new project that you can explore and think about mm. um, but also the the um, lab romanticism project which is the IVF project that is a new ritual for IVF so parents can do this ritual at home and I was very nervous to show this to parents that went through this process of IVF because I did all the research. I know how it works from like a medical point of view. Uh, and obviously I talked to people that went through this process, but putting it out there and showing it to people that actually went through this emotional process, that's very scary. Uh, but the feedback I got back was... Um, was so good that I saw my project in a totally different way. It's really interesting how people reply to what you do. Mm-hmm. So if somebody calls it, oh, that's the black box of IVF, explains my project in, in such a better way than I explained it before. Um, that's interesting. So that, yeah, these things happen. It's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go back a bit then. But are there any particular moments when you were a kid where you can see the the seed for what has happened later on? I've always been, uh, yeah, you should ask my mum. <laughs> I've always been very much on my own and figuring stuff out by myself. I was afraid of asking questions in uh, class. Uh, like put your finger, like you put your hand up. Never done that. Like in the... Uh, even in high school, I was like, I'd oh, rather no. die than ask a question, <laughs> which is weird. Yeah. Uh, if you see what I'm doing now. Um, yeah, I was very scared always. And, um, uh, but that's why I always wanted to figure stuff out on my own. I'll just figure it out. I don't need to ask any questions. I'll just, um, and I think that changed well, I've known that that kind of shaped the way how I look at the world and f- look for cues and look for signs that would help me figure it out and uh, created my vision, I think. Uh, and I was always making stuff and uh, on my own. And I think, yeah, those are the two things, maybe. Yeah, that's fascinating. So very much on your own path always. And I like, and I like the way that, that that's... Well, not that not that it's a good thing that you were scared, but that that enabled you to possibly exercise your creativity a bit more because you might have found the answers in places which weren't so um, normal. Yeah. Or, you know, might have helped you think outside the box a bit more. When did you first start to be interested in Design for Debate? Mm, oh, if I think about it, I think I remember one particular moment <laughs> really well. Um that was in my first year of my BA, I had a, uh, so my BA was in product design. So I thought I'm going to be a product designer. Uh, and the first year we had this 
very strict um, teacher. She was scary. Oh, she was so scary. And you couldn't sit like uh, discussing somebody else's work without saying anything. It'd be like, what do you think? What do you think? So you you had to be sharp all the time. And uh, a lot of words were forbidden. So you could not say you thought it was interesting. So you always had to find a way to talk about stuff, how you how you felt about it. So it was always really scary. You were always really sharp. And then we had to design a watering can. Is that the the right word? Um, and we had to use uh, like vacuum forming for it. That those that was that was the brief. Um, so in one week, I had all these sketches based it on plants, had all these shapes, and. I showed it to this scary teacher and she was like, yes, yeah, you could just build that and you made a really nice watering can. But, you know, what does that mean? What, yeah, what Ouch. do we, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, is this something that we need in our lives? Beautiful watering can. And then she said, uh, a product needs a story and that's the most important thing. And that really changed how I how I approached product design and most of the briefs I focused on the story and the concept and the concept was always first and then I designed the thing and not everyone worked like that uh, in this product design department uh, but yeah I started so very early on in my BA I started taking the concept and the research way more serious than the actual product uh, and that yeah kind of developed into this way of working that research is really um, important and then you go from there but I noticed at my graduation pro- my graduation project for my BA it was all right and I, I did uh, I graduated and everyone thought it was a good project uh, but it was so clear that I still needed time to research that's the reason why I wanted to do an MA uh and to dive in it more yeah and have more time to ex- uh, experiment and i ended up doing uh the well the design interaction course was al- always really uh, interesting because that was run by john arabi but it got shut down <laughs> when i started there um oh. and, and uh, uh but i did uh, design products at uh, the rca in london um and when i finished that so I I was so focused on doing that MA in London, uh, which was also financially um, quite, in cha- a, quite a challenge, but I, I made it work also with a lot of funding. Um, and uh, when I finished that, I didn't really have a plan anymore because I was so focused on that. So then I had my degree uh, and I wanted to stay in London and find a job, but then the type of work that I do is quite experimental, which was quite hard to find or to do in London. Uh, so I thought I'll just go back to Amsterdam and uh, find out what I want to do. And then it in Amsterdam, the stuff that I do was more special than it is in London because, yeah, a lot of people graduate from the RCA or stay in London. But in Amsterdam, you're one of the few that did a master's in uh, in London. So then, yeah, you have... Uh, yeah, like you, the you have, up there, don't you? Yeah, 
mm. that that helps <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and yeah. you have to be practical about these things yeah at the end of the day yeah what would be your advice to other people who might be starting out in a position like you particularly maybe when they are at university and not quite sure where they're headed yeah i think there's always you can always find ways to do what you want to do um and don't let like financial reasons or that you need a job get in the way because there's more ways to earn your money or earn something because it doesn't have to be money all the time by doing the stuff that you want to do the way of working is also a design process and you need to put time and energy in that as well to be able to do what you want to do what's an example of that well now i'm thinking like what i what i did wrong a few times is that i just get by deadlines like there's a graduation deadline but you haven't figured it out yet but in your fourth year you need to graduate i only learned that you can also just you know take an extra year and then graduate a year later but then it didn't fit fit my plan so something about being adaptable basically yeah to, to what suits you and yeah and it and you don't have to like run all the time you can just take the time to explore it and don't be afraid um that you then lose the moment i think that made it sometimes difficult for me and made and i made some stupid decisions at those times and then when i look back at it I'm like i could have just taken it a little bit more slow at that time and taken the time to really explore it before i made that decision and it doesn't always make sense to think about it in that way because sometimes you just you do have to run and dive in but sometimes you can just you know stand along the line for a little bit longer before you dive in mm. yeah I think that's interesting about, about finishing uni and what you said earlier and realizing that you that finishing point was actually rounding off the start of a new journey for you yeah I think we expect to come out of university in particular because you know quite rightly you spent a load of money on uh, an education and you want to come out like a professional ready to be employed and knowing what you want to do but that just might not be for everyone and what if we all had the confidence to come out of uni saying I am pretty half formed at the moment <laughs> you know <laughs> and I need to learn a lot more and I need to learn a lot more yeah. and I'm not sure exactly where my what my niche is and exactly what I'm interested in but I can but to be proud of that and to use that as not a negative but a selling point yes and it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to do like a master's that you have to academically search for this uh path of learning you can also do that in a job and it can and it doesn't have to necessarily be that job that you want to do you can just start at uh, a job a little bit lower and learn so much mm. there and then maybe the path takes you some somewhere completely different that you couldn't have couldn't have th thought about mm, when you started yeah. yeah and it also feels like through your work as well you've really found your voice and th and that's now you know touching into really like amazing spheres of shaping um debate and future and politics even yes um, how does it feel to have developed into this change maker in a way 
yeah it's so if when we talk about these things like yeah i've made these decisions as well and now i ended up here and i couldn't have thought that i was gonna end up here mm. but these are the, the the future technologies politics like uh, gender politics these are all things that i am very interested in and i could have gone so many ways but now this niche it all came together and but it could only come together by just going on that journey and see where it takes you and i've like it, it sounds like oh it all went well but it I've makes had, sense yeah, yeah but I've had so many times that it didn't work out and mm. I was like oh well that was a fail uh, but you learn so much about fa- failure what would you say has been the hardest part of the last couple of years when you're a little bit at the forefront of stuff like I, I don't the type of work that I do I don't have a lot of examples so you can't really learn from people which sometimes makes it really hard and also you're not sure why you're doing it. And that's when you're just at your desk doing your work. Sometimes you just don't want to do it anymore because <laughs> it's just really hard. What do you do yeah. in those situations? I cry and then uh, <laughs> and then just, you know, leave it and then come back next day and try again and talk to my friends, talk to my parents and then just, you know, pull yourself together again <laughs> and then try again. <laughs> How does that feel in your body? Do you think do you, does it take certain forms? The the uncomfortable the com- uncomfortableness. I don't know. It's yeah. Some it can be different. Sometimes I can just cry all the time. Sometimes I'm just feeling nauseous, and other times I just get so much adrenaline because I'm just scared and I need to get this deadline. Um, so and then it helps mm. uh, the adrenaline. So yeah. Are there any things outside of your work that you do to support your your well-being? Uh, I should do more <laughs> stuff, but I do quite a lot of yoga and that mm. helps. Um, and mindfulness meditation helps a lot as well because sometimes you're just so busy in your head and all the thoughts go everywhere and you're talking to a lot of people and um, uh, defending your idea, discussing your idea. So you need to find that quietness in your head sometimes as well. You need to take the time for that because otherwise you go crazy. Oh my God, absolutely. How, how will you design your career going forward, do you think? I think the, the, the content of what I do, that that goes first and then I'll um, design the job around it. But I'll choose my projects and my jobs uh, that it makes sense in growing and researching more the content that I'm interested in and which in this case is healthcare and I just want to see different um, different parts of it so yeah that's I think that's the the main that's line the, and yeah. then I'll go from that so I think choose a main thing that you find important and then you can design around it I always find it really scary to talk in public <laughs> but you know I uh, trained that as well and I started to quite like it but I never thought that I, I wanted to be someone that is gonna you know speak publicly about these things and have an opinion about these things so yeah that's so interesting, interesting. <laughs> do you think it's something that I suppose it comes naturally with there was a goal in mind you have this work you want to share it you want to have a platform to share it on and as a as a side effect that's meant that you've had to talk in public yeah you can't really 
design these things that just happens a little bit and also these public things for me i look at them as uh, a form of recognition so that's why i think it's important and i'm always happy when people invite me for stuff yeah absolutely yeah even though i like right at the start i'm like oh my god why i'm doing why am i doing this yeah uh, but absolutely. i'm always happy when i get invited for stuff like that so lisa thanks so much for joining us yeah thank you for having me and that's a wrap thank you lisa for coming on the show and a huge thanks to joe bush as well for our snazzy new theme tune which i hope you've noticed if you did like the episode please like and subscribe and all of those good things And I look forward to seeing you next time.